Good morning, church. We want to take a moment um, to honor all of those men and women who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country so we can live in those freedoms that we, we don't deserve, right? But there are men and women that have gone and they've fought and they've, they've died for us. And I love how that models Jesus to us, right? What he did for us. But we also want to take a minute and um, honor any veterans that we have in the house. Or if you're a loved one of a veteran, if you would stand this morning, we'd love to pray over you. Do we have any in the house? All right. If I could get you guys just to reach your hands out to them. Let's pray over them and bless them this morning. Jesus, we're so grateful. So grateful for these brave men who have sacrificed their lives and their time. Father, we ask that you bless them and you honor them. And Father, for any families that are here today that might have lost a loved one, we ask that your peace come and rest on them. Jesus, you're so good and you're so kind and so faithful. And we're so grateful that you have let us live in the country that we live in, the greatest country in the world. Father, we ask that you continue to bless her. Bless our leaders, Father. Give them godly wisdom and raise up our country to be the country you would have it be. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could get all of you guys to stand with me this morning, though, we're going to read our text this morning. Our text is found in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation this morning. And its, and its fullness fills you even though you were like corpses, dead in your sin and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and the desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children, subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ the exalted one and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Jesus, we ask that you bless this word today. And Father, I ask that the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Y'all can be seated this morning. Before I get started, I want to take a minute to honor um, any of our first-time guests. We're so glad that you're here. If you've been away for a while and you finally come back home, we're so glad you're here. And I want to take a minute to honor my own family who is here this morning. I'm so grateful that they were all able to, to be here this morning. But you guys, I have shared many, many, many times my love for all things Hallmark, right? We've talked about it many times. I love Hallmark movies. And I don't need any attitude from people about that. I love Hallmark movies. I love them, and I know what you're thinking. If, you, if you're a hater, you're thinking, they're always the same. Yep, that's why I like them. Yep, I always know what's going to happen in the end. I don't have to stress. When I go to watch a Hallmark movie, I know what I'm going to get. I know it's going to be good, right? I know at the end they're going to kiss, everything's going to be great, life's happy, and I get to, you know, feel a little good at the end of the story, right? So one day when Josh and I, I think it was, it was really early in our relationship, Josh has always made fun of my love for chick flicks and just whatever, but we sat down to watch a movie. It was a Kevin Costner movie, and we were pretty sure it was going to just go the normal route of a normal chick flick. I would not have watched it had I known what was about to happen. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie A Message in a Bottle, but if you have not seen this movie and you like a happy ending, don't watch it. So we're watching this movie. It's good. You know, boy meets girl. Girl meets boy. They like each other. There's like a little bit of tension. You know, going the classic Hallmark movie curve, right? But then like three quarters of the way through the movie, something's happening. Something's a little bit different. And I start to feel like this in my stomach. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? I don't, I don't like this feeling. And you guys, so I'm just going to ruin the movie for you right here. He dies. The lead character, Kevin Costner, dies. He, they kill him off in this movie. And I was mortified, completely mortified. And I look over at Josh, and he has this smirky, self-satisfied look on his face. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know what he says to me? He says, finally, Finally, that's what happens when a girl won't make up her mind quick enough. That's what happens. Yeah. Everybody that knows Josh is like, mm-hmm. That's exactly what I said. But you guys, I find it ironic. I, I, I think it's kind of funny that I'm drawn to Hallmark movies like I am. But the characters in the Bible that I'm drawn to are all the ones that are so messed up. Right? I love, I love those stories that just have this, they all have this one theme in mind. Every one of them have these two words in their story. And the two words are, but God. But God. Characters like David, my fave. I love, love me a good David story. Tamar, Rahab, Peter, Paul. Y'all, they were messed up. But God. And you were in the, the coolest, the coolest 
series right now. I'm really loving it. We're, we're talking about the legacy that God's given us and the legacy that he's left us through his generosity. And when you hear that, you think, oh, they're talking about money. But it, it's so far beyond money. We talked about God's generous presence. Pastors brought some powerful messages. If you haven't been able to see them, go back and rewatch them. Generous presence and his generous power. God does everything generously. And this week we get to talk about his generous grace. And I love when we talk about grace that we all have these Christian definitions, right? And none of them are wrong. The definitions that you'll hear if you ask a Christian, unmerited favor, love that I don't deserve, and all those things are 100% true. But my definition of grace is a little bit different. My definition of grace is a God that still loves me even though he knows my full story. A God that looks at me and sees the hot mess that I am, and he's like, man, I love her. I really love her. When I was studying for this sermon, and I was looking up all the but God verses, do you know there's 612 but God verses in the Bible? But God intervened, but God stepped in, but God saved the day. Every person in here has their own but God story. I want to remind you really quick of the stories of the people I was talking about earlier. David was an adulterer and a murderer, but God. Tamar prostituted herself to her father-in-law, but God. Rahab was an actual prostitute, but God. Peter betrayed Jesus, but God. Paul hunted and killed and persecuted Christians, but God. Y'all, if we begin to look at their stories and the trophies they are of God's grace, we can't help but get excited when we hear those two words, but God, because we know the, the rest of the story. We know the victory that each one of them were able to walk in because of God. So today, I want to share three truths with you that all three of them have in common. And the first one is, but God loves. God loves us. Generous grace cannot happen without his generous love. When I began to look at generous love and, and just different definitions for generous, the, the big one that kept popping out to me was lavish. God lavishes his love. He is a God of abundance. That's his character. That is his DNA. That's who he is. That's how he's revealed himself to us over and over and over again. He is a God of abundance. And so when he chooses to love us, he loves big. He doesn't know how to love any other way. What a beautiful example to us, especially in this day and age that we live in, just love bigger, love better. God doesn't put any exclusions on it except for they voted this way, so I'm going to not love that. Or they believe this. Y'all, it's about love. And God has modeled that to us over and over and over again. I, one of the things that I loved to dig in when I'm feeling, I guess, unseen 
is I love to dig into the things that God says about me. God tells me that I'm the apple of his eye. God tells me that he delights in me. These are all truths and promises that are for you as well. He, he tells me that I'm fully known and fully loved. Y'all, that's a big one. Because <laughs> fully known, that's a little frightening. But he still loves me. I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. I'm a masterpiece. There's nothing that I can do that would make him not love me. Sometimes I will tell my kids, it's a good thing you're cute. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. It's a good thing God made you cute. Because you're a brat. Right? It's a good thing you're cute. And I feel like God says that to me a lot. It's a good thing you're cute, Dana. Because you're really getting on my last nerve. Right? That's what God says to us. But he has modeled this over and over to us, what his love looks like. He, back in Ephesians 2, 3 through 4 in our text, it says, The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God, but God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. But God. Y'all, our stories are all the same. We all have that same story that we come from. Sin. But God. This God. The God of the whole universe. The God that created everything that we see. This God has chosen to love us. He looks down and he is enamored by you. He loves you. One of the scriptures that we love to quote is the one that he says, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And we love to hear that because it makes us feel, you know, kind of cozy. It makes us feel a little bit safe. But what I love about that scripture is, to me that means even when I'm on the run, even when I'm ignoring everything, <laughs> he still loves me. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. In Matthew 18, 11 through 13, Jesus is answering a question about how individuals are valued in the kingdom of heaven. And as part of his answer, he says, the son of man has come to give life to all who are lost. Think of it this way. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one lamb wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 grazing the hillside and thoroughly search for the one lost lamb? And if he finds his lost lamb, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that went astray. Now you should understand that this is never the desire of your heavenly father, that a single one of these little ones should be lost. So when we say God never leaves us or forsake us, and we know we're on the run, a God that loves you is going to chase after you. He will relentlessly pursue you. He will relentlessly pursue you because he loves you. And can I tell you that a couple of times when I've heard that scripture, I've thought, you're just going to leave all the rest of us over here to go find that one? And God's like, yeah, because you're okay. Let me just paint a picture. I have three children. One of them is doing something they shouldn't be doing. 
Shocking. One of them is doing something they shouldn't be doing. So I'm going to take the other two and I'm going to say, you stay right here and keep doing the things you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to go get this one and bring them back over here because just like God, it's my desire that none should perish. I want all my babies together. I want us all back home. That is the God of the whole universe who sees you, who knows you, who loves you. He knows your name. He knows your story. And he loves you. Y'all, that's grace. That's grace. I don't know about you today, and I don't know what your story is, but I know what mine is. And when I look and I know that that God knows my name and loves me, that takes my breath away. The second thing that we want to talk about is because of that love, the ultimate way, the ultimate way that God showed us he loves us is through forgiveness. And so our second point is, but God forgives It's the ultimate but God story, right? The story of how God's forgiven us. God didn't want anything, anything to separate us from that perfect love. And he said, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to restore the relationship that was taken from when Adam and Eve fell? What do I need to do to restore that? And he knew, he knew there would have to be a sacrifice. And he knew the sacrifice would have to be perfect. It would have to be holy. It would have to be pure. So God did whatever necessary to remove that barrier. And Jesus hung on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice. The cost, the cost was the weight of my sin. The cost was the weight of your sin. Jesus took it all on him. Imagine Jesus hanging on a cross. The weight of every sin that we would ever commit. But not just our sin. Every sickness, every hurt, every disappointment. Jesus took that on him. Out of his great love for us. He didn't have to do that. But the one thing that God will always desire is restoration with his people. So he's going to do anything to remove that, to make sure, to make sure that we could approach the throne. Think about what Jesus did on the cross. Think about his heart, even to the very end. He was forgiving people who seemed unforgivable, even on the cross. At the very end of his life, he whispered, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even at the very end, in unimaginable pain, his thoughts were on us. That, that love, y'all, how does it not overwhelm us? And I love, the more I studied about this, this, this sermon today, it kept taking me back to the Holy of Holies. And during this time, there um, in the temple, there was a curtain. And I want to give you some facts on this curtain because I, I just think it's, it's crazy. So the temple curtain was as thick as a man's hand. It was 30 feet wide, five times wider. If you're like me, I need visuals. Um, five times wider than a full-size bed, okay? So everybody get that picture in your head. You got it? Okay, 60 feet long, so... A bowling lane. That's how long it was. 
and it took 300 men to carry it. That's a big curtain, right? My husband complains we have to put up one curtain. Can you imagine, imagine that curtain? But when Jesus gave up that spirit, gave up his spirit and he died, the ultimate sacrifice had been paid. And that veil was torn from top to bottom, forever granting us access into the holy of holies, forever granting us access to the presence of God. It was gone. Any barrier that was going to take, take us away from what Jesus could do, any barrier that would keep us from complete relationship with Jesus was gone. That's what forgiveness looks like. Jesus made a way. The curtain was massive. No one could have torn it themselves. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20 says, And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm boldly and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. If you want a mental picture of what forgiveness looks like, look at the cross. Look at the cross. And that brings us to our last point, because of the cross, but God restores. God's desire is always restoration. Always, always, always. He always wants to restore a broken relationship. My favorite, one of my favorite restoration stories is a story of, um, of Peter. And like I said, I love a happy ending. But that's not life, right? Life isn't always one big happy ending, unfortunately. But I think the reason I love the story of Peter is because it's true. It's human. It's very raw and real. And you get to see all the sides of Peter. Peter, I, I just love him because he's bold and loud. And when Jesus walked the earth and he was one of his disciples, he was like, all but like carrying a banner, this is Jesus, don't mess with him, he's my guy, right? Just bold and nobody was going to come between him and the Lord. And then Jesus told him, Peter, you're my best friend. Peter, you're going you're gonna to betray me. Peter was hurt. I'm going to betray you, God. Look at, look at what we've been through together. I'm not going to betray you, Lord, I love you. I'm not going to betray you. But he did. He denied him three times. He denied him. He denied even knowing him. His best friend, his best friend denied knowing who, who, who he even was. Can you imagine how Peter felt? Even after Jesus rose from the grave and he knew that he, he, he had done all the things that he said he was going to do, can you imagine what Peter walked with? Because he was human. Imagine what we feel when we let someone down that we love a lot, when we disappoint someone. In my life, you want to mess with me, the first thing you say to me is, Dana, I'm really disappointed in you. Right? That, those are, that's my kryptonite. And I feel like Peter was the same way. He didn't want to disappoint Jesus. He loved Jesus. But in a moment of great fear, he denied him. 
But the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared. He appeared back to the disciples. And in John 21, Jesus appeared the third time. And John recognized Jesus on the beach. They're like, there he is. And Peter grabs all his clothes. He's not waiting. They're in, they're in a boat. Peter's not waiting. He's not going to miss it. He grabs all his clothes and he swims the 100 yards to shore. Just on a side note, we should always be that quick. When we know Jesus is in the house, we're going to remove any obstacle, any barrier to get to him. I don't care where we are, but I'm going to grab all my clothes and I'm going to swim to get to where his presence is. So he comes to the shore and he gets to spend time with Jesus and they're sitting there and they're eating. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. And Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. Of course I love you. And Jesus says it one more time. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Jesus, I love you. And what Jesus did in that moment was he reframed their relationship. He showed Peter what love looked like. He showed Peter what forgiveness looked like in that moment, and then he restored the relationship. And in that restoration, he gave him his life's mission. He said, okay, now go feed my sheep. You want to know what the but God story is, what the end is? It's your story. It's your mission. It's your destiny. Your destiny is revealed in those moments that you think are your end. But when you allow God to do those but God moments in your life, something happens and something changes, and God will completely reframe what is happening. When I was a teenager, when I was growing up, if you asked me about God's grace, my brother is here, so he's probably rolling his eyes at me. I'm not going to look over there. Um, but when I was a teenager, if you were to ask me about God's grace, I would have probably said some super spiritual, abstract answer. But the reality is, I probably had no clue, right? I hadn't yet lived the story that I was going to write. A story that God never intended for me to write. Most of you have heard a lot of my story but I grew up in the church. That's all I've ever known. We talk about legacy, you guys. My legacy is strong. The legacy that I've come from. But I made choices along the way that were not the choices that God intended for me to make. I made choices that were selfish, that hurt me, that hurt God, that hurt my family, that hurt my friends, the people I loved most in the world. All because I cared more about me in that moment than anyone else. I remember I was um, in a place where I was so angry really, really angry 
and hurt. I had been pregnant and not married. I was broken. I was lost. I was selfish. I was scared. You name it. This went on for a couple of years. And there was a Sunday morning. And I can't tell you the songs they sung. I can't tell you the words that my pastor said. But I can tell you there was one moment that forever changed the course of my life. The pastor gave some sort of invitation. And again, I can't, can't remember exact words. I wish I could because it was so impactful to me. But it was a moment. It was, it was one of those moments in your life that you know you've got to make a choice. And I could feel something rising up within me. See, guys, I had spent these last two years justifying my sin, justifying my selfishness. I would have actual conversations with God that went like this. Well, I might have gotten pregnant, but they're gossiping about me, and that's just as bad. Literally, exact words, exact quotes, me and God. And I'm, again, that's when God looked at me and goes, it's a good thing you're cute because you're a mess, right? That was me. But I had this moment where I had a choice. And everything in me, everything in me from my belly up, I couldn't stand the thought of anything, anything being between me and God. I couldn't handle it. I wanted anything that stood in between me and complete freedom to be gone. Because in that moment, this God moment that I did not deserve, but he loves me that much, he let me see his heart. And he showed me that my actions, my selfishness had broken his heart. I broke the heart of God. And when I saw that, it broke my heart. And in that moment, that's when repentance happened. Deep, deep repentance. Ugly, crying repentance, y'all. Repentance followed by forgiveness, followed by freedom, because that's who God is. He always finishes what he starts. And when he wants restoration and anything to be removed from him, he's going to do whatever it takes to chase you down. Because you are worth it. You are loved more than you will ever know. And the purposes and plans God has for your life are not on you, it's on Him. Let Him do that. You guys, if you spent any time with my family, if you sat in my living room, you're going to know that I say this all the time. God is never not good. All the time. All the time. Yes, I know it's a double negative. We're moving on. God is never not good. And I will say that for the rest of my life because that's who he is. I struggled with sharing my story this morning. I didn't, I didn't want to share it. And I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I really, I feel like every time I preach, I'm, I say the same thing. 
I don't want to keep sharing this story. I, I mean, I have other stories. And God said, this isn't your story. This is my story. This is my victory. You are my trophy. That's what grace looks like. We get to be trophies of his grace. And you guys, when I think, when I think about the Lord and what he's done in my life, I cannot help but be overwhelmed. He is so good and so kind and so faithful. Nothing I have ever done will ever earn or deserve that love, but he gives it so freely. That is what generous grace looks like. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing this song real quick, and I want you to take a minute to reflect on what God's done in your life. When I think about the Lord, how we say, speaking this morning there are those of you in this room that have felt this stirring in your hearts and your belly right now and it's your choice it's your choice to say yes to Jesus this morning and if you would like to ask Jesus to come and remove any barrier between you and him raise your hand this morning and let me pray with you hands all over this room all over this room. If you're online in a 
in a posture of faith, raise your hand and watch what God's going to do. We're going to pray together. And if everyone would repeat after me, dear Jesus, your grace overwhelms me. And Jesus, I don't want anything. I don't want anything to separate me from you. So today I, I accept freedom through forgiveness. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I believe you're coming back soon. Jesus, I accept you into my heart and life. And I ask you to walk with me and guide me and continue to love me. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, we have people say yes to Jesus this morning. If you said yes to Jesus and you're online, text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220 so we can get you some information and we can walk this journey with you. This is not a journey that you have to or should walk alone. We want to partner with you. Thank you guys for being here with us this morning. Thank you for um, just to see your faces. This is such a treat. We love you, and we hope you have a great week. Enjoy Memorial Day tomorrow. And don't forget to um, remember what it is that we're, we're celebrating and what we're remembering. Y'all have a great week.